Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Delighted to be talking to our next guest, Drew Creaseman of Mile High Sports, our beat writer for the Colorado Rockies. You can follow him at Drew Creaseman on Twitter. And of course, as we pointed out, catch everything that he puts together over at Mile High Sports. Uh, Drew, thank you for joining us. Obviously, for the Rockies uh, in a disastrous season thus far, at at least a bright spot when you have uh, Elias Diaz win the All-Star Game MVP and uh, bring a bit of a notoriety to a very, very bad Rockies team. But this is a team that uh, right now appears to, if not be in free fall, really close to it. The trade deadline is August 1st. We know that some of the players that would otherwise be candidates are even injured, so that's a concern. But what is the latest and what you believe will happen over the next couple weeks with this Colorado Rockies team? Certainly the organization understands that this season is not going to end uh, in any sort of postseason, and it's time to start looking to 2024, right? Right. If there's a silver lining to the first half of the season being so bad, it's that not even these guys who can convince themselves of of quite a bit of silver linings and, oh, if not for this and that or the other, we could have been. It's like all that. We could have been a contender. Like we were right there up until. And to be fair, they do have the population of a small town on the injured list, but. They got 34 wins, you guys. You can't. Like, come on, man. So, yeah, I, I do think, and I've heard and even seen a little bit when they moved Mike Moustakis, right? That was the first big indication of, because you, you hear things and you talk to people, but it's like, all right, they, they have to actually make the trade, though. They can't, they can't be having conversations about these guys. The, they like having conversations, and they always do. You know, I feel like sometimes people will be like, well, they didn't move anyone, so they didn't even try. Like, there's a team down there. They make a lot of phone calls, but you got to move some guys. <laughs> and so they, they really need to. This is a season where there's no excuse. There's plenty of obvious candidates from guys who are even playing decently well, like Randall Gritchick and yeah. uh, relievers yeah. like Brent Suter and Brad Hand, sure. who've been good, uh, to you know guys who we know have some value but aren't at their peak right now. And uh, either C.J. Crone, Charlie Blackman has a whole other – category of thing and and i understand that from their perspective but all these other guys ought to be on the table shopped hard and then the guys who like moustakis don't have a ton of value but could still get you like moustakis did a 23 year old pitcher with some upside and if you can get something like that for harold castro jerks and profar kind of on down the line uh, i've got my number set at two and a half uh for to be even considered like you did okay. They trade three guys, three of the, the names that I just mentioned, maybe a few more, then they did okay. You can give them a, a passing grade at the trade deadline. More than that, and you're starting to go, all right, okay. Maybe Bill Schmidt's a, a different guy. He's, you know, he is going to be proactive about building around the next generation and, and, and go to that. Um, if it's under two and a half, you're just going, same old Rockies, same old nonsense. Nothing's going on here. You use the word free fall. You know, bring on the Tom Petty and let's blare it off the edge of Thelma and Luis. I'm going to cross references here. And let's just, I'm with you to the bottom of the barrel, boys. <laughs> Who are the players around whom you build? 
phenomenal question. I think Ezekiel Tovar, the 21-year-old sure. shortstop, has already proven he's an elite defender and the bat is coming around. You like that. Um, I, you know, Beyond that, there are certainly a lot of question marks. Um, I think some of these other young guys, we still don't know for sure. Like Nolan Jones and Brenton Doyle both have big pluses and some pretty big minuses. So are they building blocks or just nice pieces? Um, unfortunately, you know, it's been a, a down year. Well, Zach Zeen got hurt. Uh, yes. so that really threw a big wrench in all of that. Uh, so there's not that on the cusp next, uh, they, they do have several prospects coming up, but prospects are prospects you know, at the major league level. There's not a ton to sink your teeth into, uh, as a feel really good about the building blocks. I think some of these guys could pan out, but Tovar is the one guy I would point to, you know, in the rotation, you're still at this point relying on Freeland and Marquez at some point. You know, obviously Marquez after Tom John in the future, Sensatella after whatever he's going through. Uh, Gabe, there has been great news there from a prospect standpoint where Gabe Hughes has been phenomenal, but again, prospect. So at the big league level, there's just not – I guess so far was – I said a lot of words there, but I could have stopped after so far. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I don't blame you on that. Uh, and I, I just look at, at the starting rotation now, and I see one guy oh. who's thrown more than 90 innings, and that's Kyle Freeland, who's 4-10 and 10 with a 1.45 whip, who's averaging five and a half strikeouts a game. Uh, Gomber's 7-7, seven and seven, but has a negative wins above replacement mark. Yeah. Seabold, same thing, one and six. And Chase Anderson's been brutal, uh, zero and four. Uh, there are a couple of bright spots, I suppose, uh, in the bullpen, maybe even three in Bird, Lawrence, and uh, the aforementioned suitor. But it, you're right. It, 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 it's like the line about Oakland, there's no there there. Yeah, yeah. the silver lining to this is that after this year, there's almost no money on the books. There's Chris Bryant's big honking contract and basically nothing else. you got Freeland on the books for a few more years at a perfectly reasonable price. So you're not upset about that. Same thing with McMahon. Like, it, he's, he hasn't turned into the superstar that a lot of us wanted and were hoping for. But He's been pretty solid. Plays. Yeah, yeah. For the price you're getting, nothing wrong with McMahon's contract. So I actually like those two guys as – building block pieces they really are especially because freeland and mcmahon do bring just all of the intangibles just everything you could possibly want and a guy that if you are going to have other people emerge as superstars if zach veen or young fernandez or tovar or jones or whoever if these guys are going to come up and be the superstars that you'll need mcmahon by that point he'll be the wise sage veteran right he'll be the 32 year old uh, but he'll be absolutely phenomenal and perfect in that role. Uh, same thing with Freeland. will probably be into his 30s by the time this team is good again. But I do think both will still be around. So that's not nothing. We're talking to Drew Kreisman of Mile High Sports, and I guess I look at some of these free agents. And you're right when you're talking about uh, contracts being on the books. Really, the only bad one is Chris Bryant's, and that one is uh, extraordinarily bad. But you're right. Otherwise, it's really not too terrible. The... Free agents, though, we know Charlie Blackman's hurt. That's going to probably preclude any move, obviously. But uh, And Herman Marquez has a club option, which you would think of if, with the year being finished, probably is not going to be exercised completely at the $16 million. Maybe something else gets negotiated. But Randall Gritchick is a free agent. 
Uh, Jerks and Profar is a free agent. CJ Crone is a free agent. Uh, even Pierce Johnson and Bruce Suter. Uh, or, or Brent Suter, pardon me, Bruce Suter, dating myself. Brent Suter are free agents. Yeah, we wish. Now the yeah, seriously. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, seriously. But the uh, the this is the situation when you're a team that is in where the Colorado Rockies are in, and and there are negatives to prospects. But teams that understand their reality look at these kind of players and figure we're going to trade all of them for whatever prospects we can get, even if they're low-level prospects, even if we're basically throwing a dart, because none of these guys are going to be here next year. Why don't we get something out of them? But the Rockies, more than any other team in baseball, stubbornly refuse to do that, even with guys like Trevor Story, who told them flat out, I'm leaving, you will get nothing. So is there any reason to believe with these free agents that I just mentioned that the Rockies are going to keep them instead of flip them for whatever they can get? Because, look, guys that they can grab out of AAA can lose 100 games too. Sure, right. They're just as capable. Yeah, uh, you know, I hope so. And I am willing to give Bill Schmidt, you know, the a little bit of a benefit of the doubt with the Trevor Story situation in particular because he'd inherited the job like a couple of weeks before that. His predecessor had blown the team up, you know, had alienated the, the superstar and done the whole But I've had the job for no weeks and knew they should have traded him before they got nothing. <laughs> well, and, but, and another thing that's a misnomer, and I do want to correct about this. They, they, got, a, they got a compensation they, draft pick. They got a draft pick, and Sterling Thompson ever since then has been consistently ranked in the top ten. But even even the first-round draft hit. pick, Drew, and you know that as well as I do, a first-round draft pick in the major leagues has a, in a major league draft has a bout, unless they are a pitcher, and it's slightly higher, about a 16 to 17% chance of ever making the major leagues. Right. First-round. One well, in five. what you can hope for in a, in a trade anyway. You would have gotten right? so more than that for Trevor Story, for a contender. I don't know about that because the the word was out on Story's health. Well, well yeah, it, the word was out that he had a bad elbow, and even a novice like me could see it. If you went to yeah, the games, you could see he couldn't throw. And I thought the miracle last year was that he got through the season, most of it anyway, unscathed. It surprises me not a bit that he hasn't played a game this year, although you hear reports all the time that uh, out of Boston that he's looking good throwing, and I'm happy for that. But he's at least a month away from uh, playing. So you you are correct in that. Uh, I think if if I could see it, anybody in baseball who watched him play could see he had a bum arm. And the Red Sox played him at second base last year because they had Bogarts at, yeah. at short. Mean, and Bogarts isn't even a very good defensive shortstop. And they were still better <laughs> off. And his story had trouble throwing from second base. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love Trevor's story, and I hate to speak ill on him. He's such a, a kind, sweet gentleman. He's really one of those southern sweet boys of just like, gosh, he's never got a bad word to say about anybody. But, yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest misnomers about that whole situation was that the Rockies weren't getting as good offers as you might think because people weren't looking at Trevor's story. They were looking at a guy with a bomb elbow who's hitting league average and only had a half a season remaining. And they just weren't getting good offers. They figured they'd like the compensation pick. Now, all that said, they have, back to the conversation before. Now, they have to do it this time, though, guys. <laughs> I'm totally like, that was a little bit tough. And do you want to be the guy that just traded the second superstar in a row and all the baggage that comes with that? Right. This doesn't have any of that. No, no one's, no one's going to be broken up no. as you trade C.J. Crone or Jerickson Profar or Randall Gritchick. Right. right. you got to be kidding. Right. Most most people around here have, even if they follow the Rockies casually, don't know much about those guys and would be bothered if they were traded. 
it, this is going to sound like a weird question, but we've been banding this question about for uh, weeks now. Uh, in what way could it possibly even help them to lose 100 games? You know, maybe even in a sense that it would shake them into uh, somewhat of a different realm than they've been occupying because for 30 years they've been able to say, well, at least we've never lost 100 games. And look at all the teams, uh, even in the last five, six years, uh, that have lost well over 100 and will lose more games than we lose this year, Oakland and Kansas City in particular. Yeah, this has always been an, an interesting topic for me because I I just don't know that I believe if they were to lose 100 or 101 or 102, that down at 20th and Blake, they'd go, you know what, guys? Pack it up. We're doing it wrong. Everyone else is right. We've been wrong. Like, you know, I just I don't think that that's their moment of epiphany. Maybe it would be. Maybe it would be. Uh, well, let me ask um, you specifically. Would it sure. mean – a possible change in the dugout from Bud Black to Vinny Castilla, or it, it, the Rockies don't like to bring in outside outsiders. Out. No, I know that, <laughs> but sure. could there be a managerial change? Because I, I don't care how much he's ma- it making. On some level, doesn't Bud Black have to have a, a point, a depth to which his team sinks? which makes it not worth his while to come back, especially in 2024 when the prospects wouldn't be that much better. Yeah, I mean, he might not want to come back, but I will say, you know, Buddy didn't put together this roster. You know what I mean? Like, this no, is, I, I understand he, he that, but there is a certain roster, comfort yeah. with losing that seems to have infected the entire organization, and that includes Bud Black. I don't see Bud Black getting angry. I, I see every other manager of any team that is even slightly underachieving expressing, with the possible exception of Buck Showalter, and I don't know what's gotten into him uh, with the Mets. He's the good humor man now, and he, yeah. that hasn't even been his temperament when he's managed good teams. He, he's been kind of a firebrand. <laughs> right. But it, right. It, with the exception of Showalter, every manager in baseball – including Alex Cora of the Boston Red Sox, when they're not going well, he'll let you know that he isn't pleased and these are specific reasons he's not pleased. He's not going to throw people under the bus per se, but it ain't hard to interpret his words. You And I know that there is this implicit bargain with Rockies managers that you can manage here as long as you want, as long as you don't knock ownership. I, I get that, but to me, if you lose 101 games, even a, a organization as inactive and unresponsive as this one has to do something about that, don't they? I mean, yeah, you would definitely have to shake some things up for sure. You know, I've I've always had a, a weird thing, and, and it's tough for me. I'll admit, being down there every day, it's entirely possible that I just fallen victim to the man's charms as well. You know, it's oh, like he's a nice man, man. I, and he's I a know. very good manager. He's the best manager yeah. they've ever had. But yeah, well, right, come on. And, and also, I think the only guy who's ever really figured out 
any kind of methodology for pitching here that's worked. Well, obviously, it's not working right now, but when you've got Connor Siebold and Chase Anderson, there's only so much you can do. Um, but in 17 and 18, those are some of their best starting rotations of all time and some of their best bullpens of all time by the numbers. And, you know, I, I think there is something to that if given the right pitching talent that he's a guy who can knows how to finesse it here in the most difficult place to do it. So I worry about that. On the other hand, I have long thought, uh, like a lot of people, they need a younger mentality, whether it's on the bench in the dugout, at the manager position, in the front office. Uh, you know, they need Great more point. people who are Great point. more analytically driven, yes. uh, less stuck in the way that baseball used to be played, and, and more frankly, to get on my own little soapbox, concerned with figuring out the puzzle of Coors Field for real and not using it as an excuse but as an advantage, as a weapon, to find the players that are going to make the absolute most out of that environment and the players where you can hide uh, you know, some of the things and then being better at identifying that stuff so you don't let D.J. LeMahieu and Carlos Estevez walk out the door for nothing just because they seem like middling players and their numbers aren't great here. Then they go somewhere else. Their numbers get better. They didn't become better players. They didn't. You have to recognize that value here. So it's, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think they really miss fire on as much as the other big things bother people. Mia, it's like, you've got to invest in a younger mentality and a concept of you play in a unique environment and we're going to take advantage of that. But that involves relinquishing control. It also involves going outside your comfort zone, which means outside the organization. And that's something that the Rockies have not indicated they're going to do. The the trade deadline is August 1st. We'll find out what the Rockies do there. Otherwise, you know where they'll be, fifth place and last place in the National League. But... (laughs) You know where to find them. Yes, never, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, follow Drew Creaseman, who probably deserves some sort of hazard pay for follow, having to follow his team around this year. Drew Creaseman on Twitter, and of course, check out everything he puts together. Uh, like baseball, he's doing like clockwork, day in and day out, at mylifesports.com. Make sure you check it out. Drew, appreciate it. Thank you, fellas. Always a good time. Thanks, right, Drew. Thanks. Uh, it's, that's the problem. He is, he's identifying the problem correctly. Use Coors Field as an advantage, not a disadvantage. Okay. There, there was a time it, when it in was. which they won 50-plus games at home. Greg and Maddox. it didn't surprise a lot of people. And visiting teams. <laughs> during the Bobby Cox era, Greg here. Maddox told Bobby Cox, when the, when the Braves, Greg Maddox, who, by the way, wasn't a fireballer anywhere and could paint corners like nobody in his entire generation, so it wouldn't have mattered here. Greg Maddox told Bobby Cox regularly, skip him in the rotation of Coors Field. And he did. Greg Maddox. I'll tell you from talking to those guys, when those guys don't want to play back here, in that, those they, days, they, they didn't want to play we, here. We developed, you need to make it a place that you don't want guys to play. We developed some pretty good relationships I'm, with the Atlanta everything. Braves pitchers, the entire the staff. I don't care. Turn to a softball no, field. Whatever works. But they, they, he wasn't the only one who hated the pitcher. No. No, guys left and right hated to pitch here. And by the way, the guy doing the game last night was a very good analyst, John Smoltz, it, on Fox. He wasn't thrilled about Smoltz pitching he here. He was either. actually one of the guys that had pretty good success here. Not surprising. But he wasn't thrilled Didn't to pitch here. Glavin wasn't. Nope. None of them were. No. And that was the best rotation in baseball. They really didn't want any part of it. Best rotation in baseball might still be in Atlanta. Different group right now is they are running away with the National League. Well, we're going to actually turn our attention from baseball. We're going to go uh, across. The Pond, as they say, were a very interesting run 
by an American uh, player who made some waves. It, it did end today, but between the draws over at Wimbledon, we'll tell you a little bit about Christopher Eubanks, and we'll tell you about him next on Milo Sports. Did already, body fall, body so petty. How many of your friends fit in rows? But you wouldn't know that. You should call me that, baby, a mess. But you dropped the bad, baby, true things. Maybe once you're I'm coming with you, dear Maria, count me in. There's a story at the bottom of this bottle, and I'm the pen. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Over at Wimbledon, which happens, of course, pretty early in the morning, uh, where we are here, we're playing in London. An interesting story kind of came out of maybe nowhere is Christopher Eubanks, Georgia Tech product, uh, made it all the way to the semis where he was defeated today by number three player in the world, Dmitry Medvedev, but uh, gave him everything he could handle, had an opportunity to win the match, won the second and third sets, uh, went to a tiebreaker, lost that tiebreaker in the fourth, and then just sort of ran out of gas against uh, the, the accomplished Medvedev and uh, ended up getting just run 6-1 to one by, by that uh, match. So Medvedev moves on. But it is Eubanks that's interesting because kind of a, a, a late bloomer, not a huge guy that was considered a top junior player but caught the attention over at Georgia Tech. They right. brought him in. And then the the game comes on a little bit late. Even earlier uh, this month, Eubanks on his Twitter uh, won his first tournament in Majorca and uh, goes on and makes this this interesting run, but talks about uh, how difficult grass had been and gives an, gives an assist back prior to the tournament to Kim Kleisters, the uh, outstanding all-time great, uh, one of the few... Uh, Athletes to win the Grand Slam, win all four majors, won 41 singles titles, uh, 11 doubles titles, ranked number one in the world in both. Right. Fewer players uh, handled that, but played a similar game, kind of a, a more power game where grass necessarily is different. Eubanks posted a, a text conversation he had with Kim Kleisters earlier in the month, actually talking about some of the advice that she gave. And it went, even went into the nuts and bolts. He talked about how he was frustrated. Uh, Kleister said, I understand your frustration. I had a tough time on it, too, especially with movement but sent him the, the last couple tips that he tweeted out and said were important. Uh, easy push and get back. Little footwork drills every day. Only use the open racket. Play two service boxes. Stay low. Use your slice on front hand and backhand side. Focus on footwork. You may focus on footwork is exactly the right advice. And that was the trick. And now finds himself uh, it really as all but an unranked player to them winning a tournament earlier this year and now being in uh, the final eight at Wimbledon and now Very finding impressive. himself... He's going to find himself ranked. And I loved him today. I, I loved him. He had a great chance in the fourth set. I mean, he's in a tiebreaker. He loses seven points to four in the tiebreaker. He's not blown out in the tiebreaker. That set could have gone either way. He won the second and third sets with the loss of only five games in those two sets after Medvedev uh, won the first set 6-4. So it, through the first four sets, he was outplaying. It, he won more games. He, I, I thought he was more dynamic. Medvedev is one of the top five players in the world. He broke up Djokovic's Grand Slam bid mm-hmm. uh, a few years back. And yeah, he's got the whole package. May have a chance to do it again. Uh, uh, although Djokovic may. seems well on uh, his way. Uh, Djokovic is not my favorite tennis player of all time by any means, but uh, he certainly, even at 36, is the dominant player in the game uh, today. Uh, I, I think Medvedev is one of the few who could take him down. I'm not sure Alcaraz is ready on grass. 
to be Djokovic, who's played a lot more on grass than the young player has, although Akra is going to be number one in the world. It's just a matter yeah. of time. And, and actually is is the number one in the world. And even if he Well, he is technically ranked, and he's the top seed at Wimbledon. But, uh, yeah, it feels like his time is coming. Alcaraz I, I, Djokovic will, uh, is the best player in the world. Even I have to admit. Alcaraz will take on Medvedev in one of the semis. Uh, Djokovic will take on uh, Italian Yannick Sinner in the other semi. And you may very well, look, you can say this at least uh, with the men's side. They seeded this thing right. Uh, Alcaraz oh, yeah. came in number yeah. one. Djokovic yeah. number yeah, two. Did. Medvedev number yeah. three. Yeah. Uh, Sinner number eight. On the women's side, uh, a little more intrigue. Because wow, they, yeah, they've had major upsets. Uh, lots of upsets coming on in in those rounds, and then we get the uh, the upsets happening. Of course, you know Iga Swiatek, their top yeah. uh, seed, unseeded, uh, was knocked off by uh, uh, Elena Svitolina of Ukraine, and then that's fascinating too. Uh, Jessica Pegula, the highest ranked yeah. woman, knocked off by uh, a uh, unranked Vondrasova. Uh, Ariadne Sabalenka knocked off Madison Keys, the last two yeah. American women yeah. in the group, and then that's in right. the other quarter. Uh, a rematch of the final last year with uh, Alina Rabakina and Ons Jabur of Tunisia. Jabur ends up toppling Rabakina this morning, goes on to the final four, would be the first uh, player from Africa to win a major if she were. She moves on against Sabalenka from Belarus, who did not play last year because Belarusian Russians were not allowed to play right. in Wimbledon last year. She still can't represent her flag. And then on the other side, Vondrasova uh, from the Czech Republic will take on Svitolina. Vondrasova unranked Svitolina. Uh, formerly ranked, but uh, had a baby, left, uh, has worked her all the way, all the way back, and has been there on is a that phenomenal, with, inspirational with run. And, and and so, you know, well, if Speed you miss time, has been absolutely bonkers. If you miss time, your your ranking drops. Right. And I, I understand it isn't easy to come back after a pregnancy and, and, and regain your form right away. I get that. But it, these are still players even unseated um, players who were once very good. And uh, yes, Fidelina was ranked as high as three in the world. Yes. yes. So uh, it, it isn't shocking, particularly on, on a surface that suits their game that uh, they can come back. And of course they're uh, playing the uh, best of three. So stamina isn't a- as much of a factor, uh, I think the women certainly over the last 10, 15, 20 years, the, the Williams era have been much more interesting than the men. I think so. If, if for no other reason. And I listen, Federer and Nadal and, and even Djokovic uh, are, are great players, but it took a lot of the drama out, but it, you know, they won everything. Andy Murray broke through uh, here and there. Um, and Andy Murray's still playing, but he's not the player he once was. Limited schedule. Um, I, I just think the women, even now, remain a little more interesting, a little more unpredictable. You said the men's seedings have yeah. basically Here, held here's, up. Here's the, the women's seedings have certainly Sabalenka not held is, up. Sabalenka is two. Jabur is six. Those two will face in the semi. The other semi is unranked Vondasova and Svetlina, who, by the way, despite the fact because she was number three in the world, uh, she was invited as a wild card. So I mean, you were just you were a wild card entrance, and those are your final four. So really, uh, uh, a lot of remarkable drama happening over there at, in in Wimbledon. Really, the only big thing happening in sports uh, at all. But some stories to be had. I mean, you may very well see a Alcaraz versus Djokovic final, which very much could be a uh, one of those sort of, if not a pure passing of the torch moment, because Djokovic is clearly still 
uh, at the very top of his game, or, or at least certainly close to it, as good as anyone at 36 can be. But it feels like th- there's there's one of those inflection points between what was and what might be. That could be the case. Whereas you may see a remarkable, uh, maybe even the New York Times would care about it, if Svitolina faced Sabalenka. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine versus Belarus. Yeah, that would right. be uh, something that, that apparently the New York Times yeah. wants to leverage yeah. into sports coverage. That's I would find right. it more interesting to watch right. the battle between the athletes themselves, but, uh, you know, I don't work at the New York Times. But, I mean, you do have some fascinating stories there with Jabir trying to be the, from Tunisia, be the first, uh, you know, African athlete to win a, uh, a, a major. I mean, this is a, an interesting setup. And I think unlike with the men, where you certainly feel that Djokovic is going to get past Sinner, and, oh, yeah. And, and I, I suspect Alcaraz can get past Medvedev, but a three over a one is not a major wow. upset either way. I, I, I'll tell you what. That, I think that'll be a challenge. And Alvarez is going to have to be at the top of his game. It, his B minus C game ain't going to work against Medvedev. At points in this tournament, uh, he has yeah. not been. Yeah. And the funny thing we were talking during one of the breaks, and, and, and this applies to a previous tournaments he's been in, I think he won Queens Club which I, I don't know that anybody who's ever won Queens Club has gone on that same year to win Wimbledon. <laughs> it's one of those jinxes, like, don't play a week before the Masters. Right. Because if you win, you'll never, you'll never win the Masters. He's had, in many of his matches, a slew of breakpoint opportunities and hasn't been able to convert them. And that's frustrated him. Because uh, that's really, I think, the the strength of his game is is the return. And he's been a little spotty that way. Uh, his serve is not overpowering. Uh, he gets a little sloppy on the volley, but he, he actually is is pretty good when he's paying attention. I, I think the, the concentration lapses, if they take place against Medvedev, will get him beat. But if he's on his game, if he's A, A minus, even B plus, uh, he's he's such a charismatic personality. Oh, yeah. I mean, he brings the crowd in right away. The crowd loves him. Uh, young kid, exuberant, uh, fun to watch. And Medvedev is a technician mm-hmm. uh, who likes to rally from and, the baseline. And who's got, yeah, who's, who hits thumpers. I mean, he's a, he's a baseline. And Alvarez is one of, is the Al- best Al- scrambler in yeah. tennis. And Alvarez, by the way, is is twenty pounds, one hundred sixty five or twenty years old, one hundred sixty five pounds soaking wet. Yeah. So I mean, there's still room yeah. to grow there for him as well. But yeah, it, it will be a uh, a fascinating. Well, it, didn't he have the cramp problem mm-hmm. at the French? Yes, yes, he did, and uh, and that's been a concern. And I I don't uh, it, I, he's he's obviously in shape, but. You know, stress, pressure. You're 20. You're 20 years old, too, and you're extending yourself physically. He'll fill out. He'll get stronger. Um, but if you I wouldn't all- expect the cramps to be a problem because heat, uh, although we're getting scorched worldwide by the heat, at Wimbledon, Heat yeah. is not usually a factor. And you get to play at center court and then close the roof now if they have to, so they actually have it. Uh, Alcaraz, the defending a U.S. Open champion, was his very yes. first title. Yes, yes. Uh, Djokovic, the all-time winningest man when it comes to majors. So you'd be talking about a I, 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 I just pretty, big, say this, pretty big tweak. Because you've won the most. It's, it's Pete Rose. Pete Rose has the most hits, right? Mm-hmm. He's not the best hitter. He's ever. not the best hitter of nope. all time. Nope. He's not the best baseball player of all time. 
as the most. And is. nobody would say that. Nobody. And, I, you know, John McEnroe, I do know a little bit. Had him on shows before. Um, I think he has uh, great respect for Djokovic and his game. Uh, but John McEnroe grew up a Rod Laver guy. And I would hope he still is a Rod, Rod Laver guy. I'm not sure of that. And again, McEnroe's the best in the sense that he doesn't refer to players from his era as the only ones who matter in the history oh, of the, yeah. the game. He's, he, he does great respect for Federer, Nadal, Djokovic in, in that Chris way. And, and they had three, they're three all-time greats. Right. But I don't think just because they've won the most that they're one, two, and three all-time as players. Remember, tennis wasn't an open sport until 1968, right. and pros were not allowed to play in the major events. Rod Laver would have won twice the number of majors he actually won at least, probably more than twice the number he actually won, had he not been barred between 1963 and 1967. Those are five years, the prime of his career. He couldn't play majors. Rosewall, same thing. Pancho Gonzalez, even more so. I, I mean, these guys, to me, are three of the great 10 players of all time. Laver, for my money, is still the best. And, in fact, the last male to win a calendar year Grand Slam, which Djokovic, if he does do it, I I don't know that you have to put him number one all time, but you have to give it some consideration. You I would. I concede that. You would. And, and uh, Djokovic, along with Laver, one of the few guys that has won multiple of every one of the four Grand Slams. Exactly right. Uh, Roger That's Federer right. just had one French Open. Pete Sampras That's right. That's won right. The French, Pete never won example. the French. So uh, you know the French was the hang-up. McEnroe, as you pointed McEnroe out, never won Wimbledon. Ken Rosewall never won Wimbledon. Uh, he was in uh, Wimbledon finals. McEnroe never, won. never won the Australian. McEnroe uh, never won or the French. Won, well, yeah, he didn't really play very right, much at right. the Australian. Uh, a few players French. did, uh, but he never won the French. The Although he, in his best year, he was up two sets to none against Lendl in the in the final and lost the match. Uh, the d- m- most crushing loss of his career. Connors never won the French. I, I mean, they're they're all time great players who who have a hole in in their records, and quite often it is the French. Uh, in Rosewall's case, you're right; it was Wimbledon. We will find out. Uh, Djokovic has won at least three of each. The only person who can say that we'll find out a little bit as Wimbledon goes along. Uh, look, Sandy and I, tennis guys, paying attention. Also, there's no other sports. So we'll turn our attention no back to the Denver no Broncos. No games until Friday. By the way, the Broncos. I mean, they're, they're summer league games. They're summer league. The Nuggets play the tonight. Nuggets play tonight. The Denver Broncos, of course, will also start their training camp soon enough. We'll take a peek at Justin Simmons and where the yes. league thinks he sits at his position next on My Life Sports. Things you hate about yourself. Just finish the daydream. Who were you trying to be? And the time of being sad is over. And you miss them like you miss no other. And being blue is better than being. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports.
It will not be long until the Denver Broncos find themselves at training camp. And as we try to take a look at this team and uh, what they do well and where their overall talent is, because, look, talent is what wins uh, wins games. The folks at ESPN take a look at position by position. And we talked earlier about Pat Sertan and how it can be difficult to evaluate players in a vacuum because this is an individual sport. It's not golf. It's not tennis. It's not bowling. I mean, it, you have a team sport and everybody affects everybody else. Justin Simmons. Uh, last year at this time, was ranked number one by ESPN. He is no longer ranked number one, although he has not fallen very far. He is third behind Mika Fitzpatrick of the Steelers and Derwin James of the Chargers. I don't have any issue with that, but you talked earlier and we, we spoke about it on Sertan, that you argued that the five corners, if you wanted to make an argument that any of the top five corners that they listed are really the best, uh, you could make a good argument for it. I think you can make that argument here, too. It depends on what style of play you're looking for. Well, it, it does. And I, I would say with Justin Simmons that he remains the best middle of the field safety between the numbers in the National Football League. He reacts well. He makes plays. I don't know that he is known by anyone as much of a hitter. Uh, Last year, it seemed to me there were stretches where he would miss tackles. But I thought as the season fell completely apart in the second half of the year, that he was the best player on the team and it wasn't even close. And I think he deserves some credit for that. He's known nothing but losing. He's, uh, with the exception of his rookie, rookie year, when they went 9-7, and seven, seven. but they still missed the playoffs. And he's one player who has not been worn down by the losing. It, it, it has not affected his form. He's been, for the last five years, if not, for his entire career, I, I think definitely in the last five years, one of the top five safeties in the sport, and you can rank him anywhere within the top five you want to rank him. He's been a top five safety for five years, and all the losing that the Broncos have experienced over that period of time has not affected uh, his game. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is a favorite of mine. I have uh, no issue uh, with that. Derwin James Jr., guy. when he remains healthy, is a hell of a player. And they're both roughly three years younger than Simmons. But after that, I I take Simmons, uh, although not by a lot, over uh, Baker and I would Holland too. I and would Bates too. and Bayard and Gardner Johnson and uh, Winfield and Tampa, uh, Hufanga with the, the 49ers. By the way, you take the five basic position groups on defense, edge rusher, defensive tackle, off-ball linebacker, cornerback, and safety. The 49ers have top 10 players, at least one. In each. In each category, save That's corner. That's how you're corner, corner is the only real weak point if there's a weak. But the funny thing the is Francisco a good pass team. rush can cover for that well, a they've little got bit. The, they've got two of the best off-ball linebackers. they got the best one in uh, Fred Warner. And we'll talk about these other positions more in the uh, coming days. Uh, they've got Hargrove who as a defensive tackle is definitely top five, a former Eagle who came to San Francisco in, in free agency. And uh, they got Nick Bosa, who's the number one edge rusher in this 
survey. Right. Uh, they are <laughs> they're a hell of a defensive team, and we know how good they can be on offense. Uh, they've got to decide on a quarterback, but it looks like they'll have healthy candidates to choose from. For the the Broncos, and that's really the difference. I mean, Simmons, you, okay, third, first, whatever, put him where you want him. Uh, you know, he had six turnovers last year. He had six picks. Yeah. Missed five games with injuries. He missed five games. Still had yeah. six. Yeah. And I think that's where you're talking about is sort of a center fielder type safety. He's probably the yeah. best in the game. Yes, I, I think so. He reads the defense He's very, very, very rangy. well. Yeah. yeah. Terrific yeah. range. Uh, great instincts. Great uh, diagnosis skills yeah. uh-huh. in real time. But I think the part you, that you talked about first, that's really, really important. The fact that the losing hasn't worn this guy down. Yeah. This this is a man of the year candidate every year for the Denver Broncos, an unquestioned leader on the team, a man who is almost relentlessly positive and focuses on the work. Uh, prior to the injuries last year, he hadn't missed a game in four seasons. Uh, it is a shame for Justin Simmons that he is playing in this era of Denver Broncos football because he's good enough to play in virtually any area of Denver Broncos football. And I think the way he would be perceived as potentially at this point, maybe even an all-time Bronco, all-time Bronco great, the, the track he's on path for, would be very different. But he's been saddled with a team that is not held up to the standards that he himself has had. And that's unfortunate. Uh, it is. And, and I think of uh, Dawkins and Lynch playing here late in their careers. And obviously, I think of Billy Thompson. Mm-hmm. It, to me, is the best safety in the history of the Broncos. Um, even better than Justin Simmons. But well, they, they, Billy had longevity going for him, too. But yeah. Billy played 14 years. And Billy was an AFL and NFL player with the Broncos and saw the worst of the Broncos and the best but of the Broncos during the course of his really career. But I'll tell you, in Simmons, case. Simmons is, is staying... Uh, well within the top five, year after year, and I, I have great respect for him. Uh, a lot of different head coaches, a lot of different defensive coordinators, including another one this year, That's and Vance Joseph. He, he, he does is, know Vance a little bit from Vance's time here as a head coach, but it's still he is yet another the most tumultuous era uh, in Denver Broncos it's, football. It's another defensive coordinator this year, and I, I'm not saying they'll make big changes. I don't think they will schematically, but. To, to have been through all of that and not come off as uh, Bowles does and Reisner often did is just what's a word that's not offensive that I, I can use? Pollyannish. Pollyannish. That's the perfect <laughs> word. That's the perfect word. As a, a Pollyannish, completely unrealistic and, you know, never has heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. He, that isn't really Justin Simmons. He'll acknowledge his frustration and his impatience with, with the losing. But it doesn't but he change the way he let plays. It change nope. him and the way he plays. And that's special. That, that, that's a special player and a special person. Uh, the Broncos are lucky to have him. If he gets another six, if he matches his career high, and by the way, his interceptions have consistently trended up. If he were to get six again, he would tie Mike Harden and be only one behind Tyrone Braxton and Champ Bailey in yeah. the top five right. all time. So, I mean, right. going up the uh, the charts and hopefully maybe this year doesn't feel like a winning team is going to be in the cards, but uh, perhaps trending in the right direction because Justin Simmons certainly deserves much better. And he's still 29. He's right. still in his 20s. So it's not 
not too late, not inconceivable. I mean, you don't expect and he's not a safeties speed guy. in their mid-30s. But he's not a speed to, guy. Yeah, That's not no, what he's been. To be playing. Not a big hitter. And again, on this list, uh, he and Gardner Johnson are both 29. Everybody else is younger. So yeah, I understand when you get to 32, 33, 34, uh, your game might begin to wane a little bit. Hopefully the Broncos can get back to at least respectability before Simmons reaches his mid-30s. Well, we'll find out a little bit more when training camp starts in just a couple weeks. Uh, That will do it for us. Uh, Thanks to Andrew Demmer in the booth making everything work. Thanks to you, of course, however you listen to it, whether it was over the air, whether it was on MyLifeSports.com, whether you watched it on MyLifeSports.com, or whether you have the MyLifeSports app, which lets you do every single one of those things. Uh, Crystal clear, in your pocket, when you want it, and all of the interviews and everything else. So we thanks to Drew Creaseman for joining us, breaking down the Rockies. A tough gig, but Drew did a very good job uh, being realistic about what the Rockies need to do. Then it's up to them to do it, much like for the Denver Broncos. We'll be back tomorrow with more. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. You know what time it is, right? They don't want us to make it, so it's time to take it. Hey. Rhyme with them killers the time.